0: Uh, I have what do I got? I have one announcement for you. that uh, there's a lot of stuff coming up, and we're not trying to bombard you with all kinds of things you'll forget, but you probably will. Uh, we are going to do a Seder meal on Good Friday. Uh, Good Friday is the Friday that's right before Easter. Uh, I think Easter this year is the first Sunday in April. So it's it's like it's the Friday that's right before that, and in a Seder meal, what we do is bring a guy. His name's Tuvia. He's from a place called Jews for Jesus, and he's raised in a Jewish home. And so he comes and he walks us through all the customs of this meal. So it's 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 a full meal. And we want you guys to sign up to let us know if you're coming to that. And then let us also know how many kids you have. Because we want you to be able to experience this with your children. Uh, that's if your children can sit through something that's about the length of a sermon. Uh, if your kids are in that stage in their life, please bring them with you. Because we think it's a great family thing. If your kids are younger than that, uh, we're working on child care. But we need to know, you know what, how that thing kind of splits up for you. Like if you have kids, it's like... I don't like eating this. Nah. Well, we have child care available. If you have like kids that you just want to sit down and go through this really beautiful thing of understanding of God's grace and redemption and Jesus' coming and what that looks like, we'd love to have your kids with us in that. So just kind of make that determination for yourself. Uh, don't make us make it for you. Ah. <laughs> Not that we work, because everybody is too embarrassed to say anything to anybody when their kids are like, ah! But anyway, so uh, you can make that determination for yourself. You know who we're talking to, even if we don't. So sign up. Let us know. I don't know the best way to say that. I I am just stepping all over myself today. So I'm really sorry. Really sorry. Uh, yeah, that's what I got for an announcement. So welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Our sermon notes for the next 16 weeks or the remaining... Uh, eight at this point, no, ten at this point, are these booklets. They're called Didn't I See That Coming. We put these together for you to go over the next uh, course of the series that we're doing. And in these booklets, you'll get short little daily devotions. You're going to get questions to ask your family, questions to ask your kids in your family, teenagers, little kids younger than that, uh, questions to ask your community around you to kind of take us forward to understanding what the gospel is and what it means. So if you're looking for sermon notes, these are the sermon notes. If you walk up to grab one off one of the community tables, don't be daunted by, well, that's a lot of sermon notes. What are we going to talk about today? Uh, they're, they're in here like Donald was talking about. You can hold up to the page for week five, six, six. Man, I am off today. So, yeah. Grab, grab one of those. Uh, if you, uh, want to grab the verses we're doing out of the U version, you can download this app called U version. Click on more and then events will come up by GPS in your smartphone. Four didn't see that coming week six in the U you version. You'll actually get links to sign up for the marriage conference as well as the Seder meal in there. You'll get, uh, links to the, the verses for the sermon notes, but the sermon notes themselves are going to be in this book. You're just going to get links to verses and announcements and things like that. Huh. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Sometimes I need to apologize to you for that, but whatever. So why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We will get started. This is Exodus 19, uh, verses 5 and 6. And it says, "...you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who understand that we live in the kingdom of God, that your rule and reign over us is what brings peace, which brings restoration, which restores hope because of who you are. And I ask that we'd be a people who live that out in tangible ways to the world around us as your priests to this world, that we would live out the good news that you have already done in us. Amen. Have a seat. Alright, so we're doing again this again, The series called Didn't See That Coming, it's week 6, it's a journey to help us to better understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because too often today, when people hear the word gospel, they think it's some weird word that Christians made up, kind of like when the hippie is running around going groovy, it's like... Gospel, you know, it's, we have this weird word that we make up, but it's not, the word gospel was around long before Christians ever used it. The word gospel simply meant good news that is heralding an event that's life-changing and world-changing and impacts your life. That's, that's the good news. And so when we talk about the gospel, it's the good news of what God is doing and continues to do in rescuing and redeeming his people, that the gospel centers on the person of Jesus himself and not on us. It brings us good news and we live that out, but it's really centered upon who he is. So we want this series to help us all to understand what that looks like as we walk through the narrative and the story of the scriptures. To get to where we are today, we have walked through all the book of Genesis. We are going to do that again. And you're probably thinking, how many times can I talk about the book of Genesis? Well, you shouldn't put me to a task like that because I will say challenge accepted. And I will go through it every single time we talk. But no, we do it because it's like a diamond. There's all these facets to how you look at the book of Genesis. And it really leads us to where we are each week. Uh, Tim Keller said, you actually learn three things from every Genesis narrative. He says, you learn how people will ruined, the culture of death and the future city of grace. And I love Keller. He is one of my favorite teachers. But I think I would have called it how people will ruin the culture of death and the restoration by the gospel because it's about living in present reality. It's not just about a future. It's about now, today. The gospel is definitive news about what God is doing in the person of Jesus. And part of this is living in and living out and resting in the gospel. So where we're at today is God has redeemed His people out of slavery. We looked at last week where they cry out and God hears the cry and He comes to rescue them. He will lead them out across the Red Sea. He will part the waters of the sea and move His people across on dry land. And He will bring them to a mountain called Sinai all on a way to get them to their country. This is all grace that no one ever saw coming. But again, like I said, I've got to start back in the book of Genesis. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. There are seven truths that I want to point out in the book of Genesis that kind of start us moving to where we need to go today. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living Creature. Genesis 2 basically takes what happens in Genesis 1 and it puts it more in a narrative form. Genesis 1, it's all poem, it's all song. And you get to Genesis 2 and you see this more in a narrative way. That man is made in the image of God. And here when it says man man became a living creature, some of your Bibles will say living soul. It's actually the word spirit in Hebrew. God forms the man from dirt. It's where Adam will get his name. Adama, Adam. It's dirt, clay, dirt. And, God, and mud, God speaks and breathes into that. And man becomes alive. So the first thing you see in the Genesis narrative is that man is a union of the spiritual and the physical. Coming together. We're meant to be one being. Hebrews did not even have a word for spiritual. Because we were meant to be one being. This union of spiritual and physical. So when God breathes into the dirt, into the Adamus, something new arrives. Heaven and earth come together. Out of everything that's created, mankind becomes these living souls and they are unique. The second thing that you see is that man is a contingent being. Man is completely dependent on an outside source for his life. We're contingent upon who God is and what he does. We do not have the resources in ourselves to sustain life. So man is this ...odd amalgamum of heaven and earth coming together were dependent on God. What comes out of this flows to everything else. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The third thing you see in here is that God created man to be connected to the world around him. God made these trees for the man so he could eat them, but also cultivate them and make more trees. God gives man all of these good things. These good things continue. we going down to verse 20. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field, but for Adam there is not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its Place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man said, Awesome. Right? We don't know what the woman looked like, but compared to all the other options, she's gorgeous, right? So the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, taken out of the rib, that's actually in the Hebrew, that just means side. It doesn't actually mean rib. And it's meant to show that the woman is going to be a helper partner to the man. They're going to do life together as a team, as a couple, as marriage is supposed to be. A team equals doing things together. So God, out of the lifeless earth, makes trees and man and what does he use to create the woman? The, the woman? It's the man. So the fourth thing you see is that God uses man to create the woman. That's not denigrating. What it's telling you is God is using his best stuff. This is before the fall. So man is like still on it. It's still good. He's, he's great. He's divinely inspired. And so you have all these blessings that start to come out where he and the woman now come together. Verse 25, the man and his wife are both naked and were not ashamed. That's awesome, right? Naked eating fruit like we all want to be. Or not, whatever, you know. But that's that's a good God, that's a good God. Number five, the man and the woman here live with no contradiction. This is what it tells you when they are naked and felt no shame, they could connect to one another and not feel separated. They are together. Heaven and earth unite and create man. And in this union, God incorporates his breath and there is peace, there is shalom, there is everything in the right place, in the right time, in the right way. Everything is good between the man and his wife and creation, everything coming together. But then sin interrupts. And that's when you get to Genesis chapter 3. The serpent shows up, starts to deceive, didn't see that coming. And essentially he will say in Genesis 3, did God really say that you would die if you ate that? Is God really telling you that you know this thing you want and God says, oh, you can't have it, but you really want it. You know what you want, you know what you need, why don't you go get it? And so the man and the woman, they eventually disobey because they think they know better than God how to live true and full life. Number six, you learn, is everything becomes cursed because of man's sin. Now I keep telling you this, that this is what we call the fall in the scriptures because man literally fell into death and he brought all of us along for the ride. It's like Mr. Toad's wild ride, but we fell into sin. And before you judge them too harshly, I think we rebel against God for so much less. Uh, Genesis 3, 14-19 shows judgments and curses from the fall that the domains underneath man and woman now become cursed. The ground, the Adama, is cursed. The serpent is cursed. Man was meant to be a living, contingent being. The goodness that flows out of him was what he was supposed to learn from God, his interaction with who God is, and he was supposed to make a culture that honored who God was. And when sin enters creation, everything unravels and falls apart. Genesis 3, and 24. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out ...from the Garden of Eden to work the ground, the Adama from which he was taken. Uh, and he drove, him, he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword... ...that turned every way to guard the way to the Tree of Life... Number seven is that man is now outside and he has no access. As we keep saying, man is a contingent being. He does not have what he needs for true life in himself. His life is found in his union with God. But now he is banished. He has no access. Sin cannot be in the presence of God, so he is separated and this is death. But the beauty is in Genesis 3.15, God also promises a savior. That he will come and he will rescue. He will take care of man's sin problem. He will restore relationship with God again. And so you take Adam, the ruin of wanting to decide right and wrong for himself. The death that's the immediate result the God coming and promising a Savior. That's where you see how people were ruined, the culture of death, and the restoration by the gospel. Now what mankind does on the outside of the garden is he wanders further and further east. East is representative of further and further away from God. The first children born to Adam and Eve are Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain kills his brother Abel, and God goes and he gets a hold of Cain by seeking him out and chasing him down. We didn't see that coming. In Genesis 4, 9 and 10, God says, he says, where is Abel your brother? Cain gives this really harsh response. It's like, oh, what, did you lose him? Do I got to watch him? I thought you were God. (laughs) Come on, what's up with that? And then God says, and the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now, most people think today that how Christianity represents who God is, that God would say, oh, your brother's blood's crying out? I'm going to smite you and take your blood. That's not what God does. God, he speaks to Cain. He's trying to get Cain's attention so Cain would understand who God is, that Cain would actually repent of his sin, that Cain would see how people were ruined, the culture of death he's bringing about, but also the restoration of the gospel. This is what God does throughout the Genesis narrative. You continue to see mankind, you go further on. Genesis 6, man's at his lowest point. Like when, uh, like when your kids push you and push you and push you and then you explode, Like they do that to God, but like it's, it's way worse. Man is so evil because of his disconnect with God. The scripture says in Genesis 6, 5, and 6, The Lord saw how great man's, that's the human race's, wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. That's what happens when we stray further and further and further away from our source of life, from who God is. At this point, man has probably lost all recollection of the garden, of his purpose. When people lose their purpose, they get depressed, our hearts turn inward, we become very dark. Like today, sometimes people think it's a good idea to destroy a city when your sports team won a game or lost a game. That is so weird to me. I don't get it. I know some people who have been hurt in their lives and what they want to do is they don't want to find a way for this person ever to get better or hurt them. What they want is that person to suffer, to have the same thing that happened to them happen to that other person. This is how we are ruined and the culture of death, because we're not looking for life. We're only looking to inflict pain back on other people because we feel pain. But we also have the restoration of the gospel, what God truly calls us into. I mean, I got to tell you, victim mentalities never bring about life and hope. Understanding the gospel and the good news of what God has done, that brings life and hope. After Noah and the flood, the earth becomes repopulated again. Mankind continues, though, to move in the exact opposite direction of God, over and over. They're self-centered. They're hurting one another. And so God eventually calls this man named Abraham... To come to him. God says, I'm going to bless you. And you're going to be a blessing to the entire world. The way God does this is by first blessing Abraham. Not saying, Abraham, you've got a vision quest. You've got 20 things to do. And climb this and do that. God comes and he first blesses Abraham. He promises him a son and a land that God will first bless him. So that blessing flows out. You will follow Abraham throughout most of the Genesis narrative. And eventually Abraham will have a son. And his son will have a son. And that son will have 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. At the end of the book of Genesis, these 12 tribes of Israel, they number roughly 72 people, they're living in Egypt. When Exodus starts, it is 400 years later and there are a couple million people living in slavery to the Egyptians. As we saw last week, they cry out to God. God hears their cry. He takes this guy named Moses who has all this horrible stuff in his life from murder, to court politics, to running away from God. God restores him, brings him in, and God's going to send him as his mouthpiece to go and rescue these people out of the hand of slavery. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6 because that's where we're at. Uh, here, God is explaining to Moses what He's going to have Him do to go and bring these people out. Exodus six, starting in verse twenty-eight, it says this: On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, "I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. This is: you will be my mouthpiece. You're going to be my witness. You're going to be my priest." But Moses said to the Lord, "I am of uncircumcised lips." If you have an NIV, it will say, since I speak with faltering lips. Most people think this means that Moses stuttered. He had a stuttering problem. How will Pharaoh listen to me? I don't talk too good. I don't know the right words. And when I do know the right words, they don't come out in the right way. Chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Now these are interesting words where you get to in the, didn't see that coming, the restoration of the gospel, the whole thing. This is really interesting. I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Moses is made in the image of God. He's understanding that restoration to that image of God. But God here says, you will be like me to Pharaoh. Genesis starts with why there's banishment, curse, exile, no access, silence, Exodus is now moving back to God's intention for his creation, for his people, restoration. That's good news. God's bringing us back into our original calling. And God doesn't say, you will tell Pharaoh about God. He says, you will be like God. God doesn't say, here's my truth, you know, find ways to tell it to Pharaoh, make some tracts and hand them out. Because I hear Egyptians are really going to go for tracts. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Here's a piece of paper. Woo, done. No, it's you will be like God. God could have shown up to Pharaoh as God and said, Hello, I I am your father. You know, with James Earl Jones' voice or something like that. He could have done that. But he chooses to show up in the form of a human with a disability who stutters and can't get his words out right. There are infinite ways for God to reveal himself, to communicate who he is. And yet he chooses a human, not as someone who just carries the message, but as someone who will be the message. See, that's restoration. Flip to Exodus chapter 19. So here God appears to Moses and says, you'll be like God. He will then in Exodus 19 appear to a whole nation and he will say, you will be to me a kingdom of priests. You will all be like me to the world. God is moving forward with a purpose, and now he speaks loud that purpose to his people, the good news, how the kingdom is going to be made known. In Exodus 19, the Israelites get to a mountain called Sinai on their journey on the way to their land. It is here they will receive this thing called the Ten Commandments, be called back to the mission of God that he lays before his people to be those priests to the world. The background of these people coming to Sinai to understand the gospel, the good news of what God is and what He's doing is found in all the places we just walked through in Genesis to get here, to understand how we were ruined, the culture of death that we live in, and the restoration by the gospel. This is what didn't see that coming is meant to be, this biblical historical look at what God called His people to be a part of, what they did with that calling, and how we're called back into that same call. At this mountain called Sinai, this is what we're told. Exodus 19 verses 3 through 6 says, Well, Moses went up to God, the Lord, and this is God's personal name, Yahweh, called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a king and a priest and a holy nation." Now, if you just missed it right there, God calls them back to his original intent for them. You will be, for me, a king of priests. You are made in my image. You're meant to be my image to the world. God says, when I pulled you out of Egypt, I redeemed you. I brought you out. But now I have something for you to do. Or more importantly, some, someone for you to be. You shall be, to me, and that word can be translated as for, you shall be for me, a kingdom of priests. God has a mission and identity for these people to be a kingdom of priests. A holy nation again. These whiners and complainers is who God is going to use. Didn't see that coming because they were ruined. They live in a culture of death and God's going to redeem and restore them. Now, what is a priest? A priest is said to mediate the divine. A priest is meant to be someone who puts the divine on display. Like if you go to a temple and you saw a priest in that temple and you want to know what that God was like that that priest served, you would look at the priest. What does he eat? How does he act? What does he do? They would put their God on display. Uh, A priest would show people the divinity that the God that they worshipped is. Now what you'll see is right after Exodus 19, God gives his people the Ten Commandments. One of these commandments is that they're not allowed to make any graven images of him. No paintings, no little figurines, no action figures, or dolls, as people call it. Okay, why? Genesis 1 and 2. You're made in the image of God. You shouldn't have to look at a carving or a painting, because this people were made in the image of God. The world is meant to look at God's people as his image. You will be like God to Pharaoh, In Egypt, God pulls them out of slavery. In Sinai, God tells them they were not just brought out to walk around the desert and say, Oh, we're liberated. I'm a Christian. Let's make a Christian club. Let's make a website. We'll all hang out together. Let all those other people burn. We're all going to hang out together. No. No. It is, you will be my message. This is significant to understanding when God says, this is who you're called to be. This, again, is why we started with the seven things you learn from Genesis. How eventually it leads to the country, the land, the Israelites get as an, as an inheritance. It's all part of the gospel. This is the story. This is the story. See, the human condition at Sinai is one that is lost in sin. It is lost in sin. And Moses, through the words that he says, that God's name is calling them back to who they were meant to be. They needed to remember. See, before God brought them out of slavery, they probably lost much of their story. They probably knew they were children of Israel or, or, or Jacob, but probably not much more than that. But here God is reminding them of who they are, what they were meant to be, his intent in creation. There's a few instances where God speaks to certain people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, but now he talks to a whole people. God wants them to understand the picture of what has happened with all of their questions probably that they dealt with their entire life. Why is there sin? Why is there disconnect? Why is there pain in the world? Why is there this culture of death? Well, humankind and what we continue to do to one another. But God, in order to save man, is about to come down and be with his people again. That's not something that they saw coming. At Sinai, there are two huge things going on here. Number one, people are being invited back into relationship with God again. And secondly, they are being invited to be the message. The redemption of these people is part of that message. Go and be a kingdom of priests. Which I think gives a good question that I look at it and I think, like, why does God limit himself by choosing people to be the main vehicle of his message? Like if it was me, I wouldn't choose you. And I wouldn't choose me. Okay, I wouldn't choose any of us. Because we're the ones who give Jesus a bad name in how we treat each other. Think about this. Uh, We have a huge political divide in our country today, right? Okay, so when I say what I'm about to say, nobody raise your hands or ooh and ah or groan anything like that. Okay, I just, I don't want to start anything. Okay. Right now, we we have a president, and there's a lot of people in the country who do not like him. But that guy represents the United States to the world. And the people who do not like him are completely embarrassed that he represents the United States. Now, if the other happened, and and Hillary won the election, there's a whole other group of people who would have been embarrassed if she represented the United States to the world, right? Okay. You are God's ambassador to the world. People are supposed to look at what the kingdom of God is like based upon your life. So would you be like, oh yeah, that's great. Everyone knows what the kingdom, kingdom of God is like when they look at me. Woo, I'm perfect. No. No. I mean, we are such jacked up people and yet God uses us to be his message. It's like we're the, I feel like we're the embarrassment to the kingdom of God. God could have showed up in, in tornadoes and earthquakes or ice cream and cookies. That's like God's stuff. But God chooses to use people he goes to Moses, and then the entire group of people of Israel. And then he comes to us, so the same thing to us. In 2016, we did this series for the first half of the book of Acts. And in Acts 1 and 2, you see this place where God is redeeming and calling his people, and he sends all of them to be his message. And really, the book of Acts is them figuring this out. What does this look like? How do we do this? If you study ancient religions, never does a God speak to an entire group of people. He speaks to one person. That person's like, you follow me because God spoke to me. I'll tell you what to do. Here, God goes to everybody. And he says, you, as my people, are going to be a kingdom of priests. God sends all of us. And I know I called this message today country. and They don't get to their country today. I'll just give you the spoiler right now, okay? So sorry about that. But you have to understand when the Israelites do get to their country, at the beginning of the book of Joshua, they're supposed to be this beacon of hope in the world for the world to see. They're meant to live differently because God's their king. And good news, he has not left us in our sin but has come to rescue us and he will rescue you. But they get to their country next week. And you will see what they do is they reject God as their king. And they, rest- they, they install a human king in God's place and it all starts to fall apart again. What do you think God does? He comes and he brings restoration again. God allows them to be disciplined in a place called Babylon, but he brings them back. He's continually recalling his people over and over and over. And I don't know when you read the scriptures if you can see yourself in it, but I do all the time. I don't, can you see how the Israelites fail all the time and that looks just like us? How often God has blessed us with certain things and we run off and do horrible things with that blessing? From money, to friendships, to family, to our jobs, to sex, all of these things. The beauty of the gospel is that God doesn't always take away the consequences of our sins. He helps us to learn as He walks through those things with us because He redeems everything just like God can redeem you. Just like He called Israel. He will redeem all of us. All the things the Israelites did that dishonored God were sin. When we dishonor God, it's sin. Sin separates us from relationship with God and each other. We cannot pay for it on our own. We're not good enough. We're not pure enough. This is why God keeps promising a Savior will come. And a Savior does come in the person of Jesus. Jesus dies for our sins. He redeems our broken lives. He's the one who restores us and leads us out like the Israelites were led out of Egypt. We are led out of our sin. And we are then given a mission and an identity. This is why when we proclaim the good news of the gospel, we typically ask people questions like, do you believe and trust Jesus as your Savior? Is your life and will surrendered to His for salvation and new life? Because that's where hope begins. Our lives surrendered to who He is. That's where restoration is found. This Sinai, this country, and all this, this all leads to the idea of church today. Church is not a new idea church is clearly shown in exodus chapter 19 that god's calling priests people who will be the message jesus comes he takes this massive tradition of sinai and purpose and mission and identity and says come join what god is doing i want you to be part of the family of god walk with me jesus says to his people you will be my message Peter, pillar of the early church, reminds us in 1 Peter two nine. this is out of the NIV, he says, You are a chosen people, that's plural, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you, plural, may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God calls us to be his body. We are his hands and feet to the world. The church is the ongoing work of Jesus in the world. Essentially what that means is we are the new Israel because God continues his liberation of humanity. All that sin and oppression has done in this world through Jesus' death and resurrection, he brings about restoration. And he sends his people to be that message of hope. Now, this leads me to your gospel statement for this week. It's a lot shorter. and You're welcome, by the way. And today, I'm not even going to have you repeat it. I'm just going to read it to you, okay? This is it. The gospel is the good news that through Jesus' rescue and redemption of mankind, we are sent to be his message of redemption to the world. That's your gospel statement. The gospel is the good news that through Jesus' rescue and redemption of mankind, we are sent to be his message of redemption to the world. At Sinai, at Sinai, he invites people to be the message. Today, when we say we believe in Jesus, we have that same call. Sometimes I think we look around at things and we're always like, God, where are you? God, where are you? God, like mudslides down in Montecito. God, where are you? These horrible things are happening. And I think it's God's question for us as his people. Yeah, where are you? Where are you? I, think, I don't think we'll ever understand what it means to be the church until we get the idea that the whole biblical story is God saying what the kingdom of God is, where the kingdom of God is. It's where his people are, is the kingdom of God. What do you think God's plan is in this world to deal with world suffering or racial strife? The question God is asking is, where are you? What are you doing? Which is why Jesus wants us to understand what he intends for us to be. In John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Why? So we would be reminded to be the message. In Matthew 24, 45, he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. The gospel is that good news that God has sent us practically into the world to do practical things in tangible ways. We are the message. What does that look like? That could be as simple as carrying someone gr- someone's groceries to their car. It could be how you discipline and raise your children with discipline and love both. could be how you speak and share the words of the gospel of grace. I have been in hospital rooms with people dying, and they've said, can you pray for so-and-so? And I put my hands on people. And I've also been told that I have the gift of death, because when I pray for people when they're sick in the hospital, like a lot of times they go. So if you don't want that to happen, don't ask me to come. But I will lay my hands on people on their deathbed, and I I will pray things like, God, please place your hands on so-and-so. And And I think God laughs. I think God's like, I am. I am. Because we are called to be the message. When God calls us. He didn't say, I'm looking for people who can protest popular movies, or I want a group of people who can be freaked out by a red Starbucks cup, or I want people who can come up with great slogans and tracks. He wants His people to be the message. The church for too long has believed we only have this thing called the message. And if we can articulate it right and creatively and passionately from our hearts, people will go, oh. And while that's part of it, this is what the whole series is about, explaining the message of what the message is, it's also understanding the message is what he has done in us to redeem and save us. You may think, I can't be the message. I am so screwed up. Yes, you are. You're welcome. You are. That's the beauty of the message. We were ruined. We lived in the midst of death, and God has brought us out, and he's rescued and redeemed us. These people were in Egypt, whiners, complainers, hiding from the wider culture around them, and they are the ones being brought out. They are redeemed. They are called. See, these people, while Moses is on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, they take off all their jewelry, they throw it in a big pot, melt it down, and they make a cow to bow down and to worship. A cow. You're supposed to eat cows. You're not supposed to worship cows. They bow down. And this is after God parted the Red Sea and He led them out across the dry land on the Red Sea. And this is where they go to. This is to understand that our rescue and redemption is part of the message because we are just like them. We keep doing all these knuckleheaded things and God keeps redeeming. Your crap in your life is part of the message. It is. You guys following with me? Yes. 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 God says to these people, you are the message. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you've been. What matters is what we do with the redemption that God gave us. This is why we focus on who Jesus is and we understand the good news of the gospel. Because we're called to be his body, identity, mission, the gospel, the good news. We're ruined. We live in a culture of grace. But God has restored us by the gospel. That's the beauty. We are called to be the message. And sometimes we think the message is only the words that we say. It is tangible ways by what we do. Putting our hands where God calls us to put our hands. Putting our lives where God calls us to have our lives be. Speaking the words, yes, that we do need to say. But it's all of these things coming together. That God has called and redeemed and restored a people to be His because He is good. This is why we talk about communion every week. Communion is the place where we remember what Jesus did to restore us, to bring us back in, to pull us out of our own Egypt of sin and restore and rescue and redeem us and put us in a relationship with God. That's why you take that cracker, it represents Christ's body broken for us, you dip it in the wine of the grape juice, it represents his blood that was shed for you and me. So we get to be a people who are brought in because of what he has done. The gospel centers on the person of Jesus Christ. The band's going to come up, the four of us. Three, four, I don't know fits on one hand, whatever. So they're going to come up. And as we're going to sing a couple songs, and during that, you're welcome to take communion. We don't pass it. It's a response to what God's doing in our hearts. There's going to be some deacons in the back, and if you guys need prayer, maybe you're in a place today where you want to understand what it means to live out, to be that message, and maybe you've thought in your life for so long, I can never be the message, but maybe today you have a little bit of hope that, well, maybe I could. Yes, you can, because God redeems and restores, and you want to pray with them. They'd love to pray with you about that, because our God is so good. There's an offering box in the side wall next to all the doors we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. There's food outside. Grab something to eat. Meet some other people, and the purpose of why we do that is to connect you guys a little bit better, so don't just run off. You're like, oh, donut. You know, Maybe you'll go grab something to eat. And you'll, and you'll meet some other people around you so you can start to maybe ask some questions to one another to grow a little bit deeper. You know, what does it mean to be the message in the world? How are you living out as the message? Because if, if you ask me that question, I would say, not well most of the time. Not well. And if I was God, which is a weird question to ask because I'm not, and we know I'm not, but, <laughs> but, but I wouldn't use me. And yet He does. And yet He does. Because He is full of grace and mercy. And he wants his people to be what he made them to be. His image bearers in the world. So let's be a people who speak truth into one another's lives and call people back to the mission that God calls us to. Redeemed, restored, image bearers in the world, loving him first. Our eyes upon him first above all things because he is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would remind us today that you have called us in and then sent us out to be your message to the world around us. That we would trust you for your calling and your grace. That we would honor you by the things that we say and the things that we do. That we would understand the tangible things you have called us to in our world. That where there is suffering, we would step in. Where there needs to be some hope, we could be those who would offer that hope That in what we do, in our lives, it would point back to who you are and lift you up. Because true life and restoration, hope is only found in you. I ask today that you would give us a revived view of what you are calling us into. An excitement for what we can actually become and be. Father, I ask that you would teach us to trust you in all things because you are so good. And that we, as redeemed people, would live out the message. That we would understand that all the stuff in our lives that we want to hide and run away from because it's so embarrassing, that you say that you will use that as part of the message. That nothing in our lives has to go to waste but everything in the end can be redeemed because you are a redeeming God. And you have called us to be a redeemed people. Teach us to live in the hope and the grace of that redemption every day. We ask this in your Son's good name. Amen.